All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast, episode 262. It is Wednesday, November 17th. We're about a month out from the holiday season here. So for all you sellers, uh, now's the time, baby. Now's the time to make it happen. This is the podcast where young salespeople come to get to the next stage, uh, learn the skills you need, hear inspiring stories, um, gain skills, get ready for the next job, find new jobs, whatever it might be. This is where we find it. This is where we do it. Uh, really excited about today's interview with Darren Alpert. Um, God, man, Darren is, um, Darren, it, it, he's got a lot of experience in the sales space, a lot of experience in the review space. Um, he started out selling cl country club memberships. He's worked at G2. He's worked at Trust Radius. Uh, we were co-workers for a brief time at Gong. Now he's the VP of strategy at RepView. RepView is all about trying to give transparency to sellers in the interview process and let them know, you know, what's it like to work somewhere, right? Um, the issue in, uh, that a lot of people face in the sales process or in the interview process for sales is, um, you know, you go to the website or you go to Glassdoor and you think you know what a company's like, the culture, the comp, so on and so forth. But it turns out to be a different story when you get there. I've had that experience. I've had great experiences. I've had not so great experiences. And, um, you know, there's so much more than just what your OTE is, right? Are, are other people on your team hitting quota where you're actually going to get that OTE? Is, the, is it a learning culture? What's the boss like? Is there product market fit? All these different questions to think about. And RepView helps to answer some of those and helps to you know, really create a lot of visibility in that space. So you're really going to like this conversation with Darren. We go all over the map um, and he's a great resource. Before we get to the conversation, let's give uh, two quick shout outs. One, please, if you're listening to this podcast, wherever you are, uh, YouTube, uh, Spotify, Apple, et cetera, give a subscribe. And if you're on Apple in particular, give a five-star review. It should take you 30 seconds. It really mean a lot to help boost the ratings of this show, help me get the word out and create better content for you all. So I'd, I'd appreciate that. I'm on LinkedIn at Tom Malamo. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Tommy Tahoe. Um, otherwise, this podcast is brought to you by our OG sponsor, Postal.io. Postal helps you create curated experiences for your customers. So whether that's a, a gift card on the first meeting, whether that's trying to build something, some sort of relationship, you might send a bottle of wine from a local winery, you might send it from a florist, you can create events where everyone's doing a beer tasting with your top 10 prospects. There's a lot of ways to get creative and to get to the next level as a sales rep in the virtual world. Postal is a great resource for that. So definitely check them out at postal.io. Without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Darren Alpert. Let's go. All right, now on the Millennial Sales Podcast, we got the VP of strategy over at RepView, uh, entrepreneur, formerly backed by Mark Cuban, uh, sold his company, ton of sales experience, ton of experience in the review game. You've probably seen him causing some some uh, discussion and controversy on LinkedIn. Darren Alpert, welcome to the show, my man. Thanks, Tom. Good to, good to be on here. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, we, were, we were talking before. Uh, briefly, Cross paths uh, in the coworker game have have uh, touched base quite a bit on LinkedIn, and finally getting you on the pod. And uh, I see RepView all over the place. I actually had a guest 
that was repping one of your shirts, said it was the most comfortable tech shirt that he's ever had. Uh, so I thought from that point, I'm like, all right, we got we to gotta get a conversation with these guys. We got to see what they're all about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember who that was. I think it was somebody over at HubSpot. Yeah, Daniel. Daniel. Yeah, uh, Daniel. yeah Daniel Wing. Yeah. He, uh, I think I talked to him two times and he was wearing the shirt both times. So he loved it. <laughs> There's a lot, man. If you're going to come out with a shirt, it can't be like some like, you know, cotton boxy non like, you know, it's got to be Pima cotton. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Because otherwise it's just getting thrown in the trash. Yeah. And then, and then what does that do to your brand? Like your brand's in the trash. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's the opposite of what you're looking for. Um, exactly. So we're going to get to a, a lot of topics today. I want to start off with, um, you know, before we get to rep view, like you're starting sales. It looks like it came from slinging country club memberships, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and maybe from some inspiration from, uh, from your dad. So I'd love to just get to the roots of like, why sales? Why was why country club memberships? Like, how did that all start? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes farther back than that. Like, you know, flipping baseball cards on the playground when I was like ten, yeah. um, which is actually picked back up during COVID. I got back into sports cards again during COVID, which has been a blast. Um, uh, that's a whole another conversation. But yeah, man. I so starting with like. Um, the country club thing. And it was interesting. Cause I, so I majored in sports marketing, wanted to do like the Jerry Maguire thing, be an agent, super yeah. cutthroat industry. Always grew up playing golf as a kid, played baseball, bit, you know, been, was in sports since I was like five. Um, and the country club thing was really interesting. Like I, I saw it as an opportunity right out of college to surround myself with people that had made it as members, knowing that the ultimate long-term goal was to be a member at a club and be on the other side of the counter versus selling them. But I uh, worked for a company called Club Corp, which is the leader in, in country club. Uh, like they own like 300 something clubs, maybe more now. Um, and, and the training that I went through was incredible. It was like how to find referrals, like how to do marketing programs to local people in the neighborhood that maybe just moved in. Like we'd send welcome gifts to people that just moved into the neighborhood and invite them up to like a, a round of golf or lunch or whatever, like tennis, yeah. whatever. Um, just super like talk about ABM, like country club marketing is like <laughs> ABM is finest. Um, so like we, we'd get the MLS sheet every week and figure out when, what house is just sold and, and send people these gifts. So that was like Sendoso before Sendoso was a thing. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so, and what was interesting is like, that's carried into SAS because if you're selling a, a country club membership, one, it's, you know, like our membership, I worked at a club out in Palm Springs in, in Southern California, our membership fee was like 60 grand to get in dues were about 10 grand a year. And you were hoping that people were becoming a member for life. Right. So the lifetime value of a country club member was that initial $60,000 initiation fee. If they were a member for 10 years, call that 20 years, like 10 years was um, $100,000 of, of dues, plus they're paying for food and guest fees and all this stuff. Like you could have people with like a million dollar lifetime value of being a golf member somewhere. Mm. Um, so, and I think 60 grand is kind of on the low end. Like there's clubs that you can go join that are like three, 400 grand. Yeah. And, and then at, at what stage did you, were you doing that when you founded Find Me Gluten Free or was that a, a completely separate time frame? That was, uh, I, I kind of left to go do that. Um, but was done with the country club. So, so I did, I graduated college summer 2008, right before the Bernie Madoff scandal. Mm. We had three members that quit the day of the Bernie Madoff thing that went down. That was wild oh. resigning them. 
Um, so talk about like millennial growth, right? Like I'm 22 years old watching these 70 year olds resign uh, that I thought had the life, you know? Um, so yeah, that was, that was prior. Uh, it was, it was like 2008 to 2010. And then, um, we launched, I, I joined Find Me Gluten Free, uh, late 2011. Okay. Got it. Um, and, and while you're doing the, the sales thing, you you mentioned before the show, your dad, uh, has been, he was an engineer, got into the sales game. He's still selling at, at age 70 or so. Uh, talk a little bit about the family influence and, and getting past that down. Yeah, man. Oh, it's, it, it's kind of amazing to have uh, like a dad that's that. So he was in, he got his master's in manufacturing engineering, was an engineer for a long time, went, became a college professor, um, selling the software that he had been using to design stuff. Uh, it's called SolidWorks. It's similar to like AutoCAD or Autodesk. Um, and uh, then after this, he was winding down the, the professing, uh, being a college professor, they cut his program. So SolidWorks said, hey, like, Dave, you know this stuff really well. Like, do you want to sell it? And he went to work for a reseller um, of SolidWorks and started doing really well. And he was selling it to colleges and high schools, which were all of his peers, right? He knew all these guys from all these conferences um, and did really well. And, and I'd hear him on the phone at night or, you know, if I got, if I had like a, you know, day off of school, just hear him on the phone. And like I, the, what I saw from a family dynamic of like, you know, college professor salary to like selling software salary. Like it was, it was game changing for the, like our family. Um, and it took him a while to build it up. Like it took him two years to get it built up. And he was doing net new sales and account management and, and owns all the renewals, which is kind of a beautiful model. Um, and basically owned like the West coast of, of America selling solid works to, to colleges and high schools. And um, the amazing thing is like, having an engineering background, like he didn't take it from like what you maybe see as like a stereotypical salesperson that people think of like trying to push product and all that. It was like, you know, what are you looking to solve? Like, why are you looking at a solution like this? And like, just did such good discovery just organically and never really went through like formal sales training. He just used his engineering mindset and got really good at selling. So it sounds like your impression of sales you know, from him and, and from an early age was super positive. It was like, get to have interesting conversations on the phone, make good money. Uh, you know, it seemed like he was, he was kind of killing it versus a lot of people that don't maybe have a salesperson in their family. And you just kind of see the used car salesman or the Wolf of Wall Street or whatever the, the typical yeah. negative stigma is uh, of sales. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, it took him, a, it took him two years to start making pretty good money doing it. Like his first year, he didn't make any money. Like he was straight yep. commission. hundred percent. hundred percent commission. You're saying. Yeah. hundred percent commission. Yep. Straight commission was a 1099 contractor for this reseller. Got it. Um, did you, so when you graduated school and you're selling, you know, memberships for the country club and you have this sales background in your family, like, was there any thought of like, man, what, where am I going to go from here? You know, it's such a, it's such a unique thing to do straight out of college. You know, like, uh, yeah. I feel like maybe at, at that point, then you get into like management or like a director of the, of the golf club or something like that. It, it feels like, I don't know what the path is from there. So I'm just curious, like, were you feeling that, that pressure or did you, you just were in a good gig and like, you're doing well and, and selling a lot and just like not really worried about it. Yeah. I mean, at 22, like I was definitely thinking about career progression. Like I was thinking about like 
you know, become a general manager. I had a really good mentor that was a regional manager that oversaw like the 10 clubs in Southern California that Club Corp owned and was getting groomed to go down a path like that. My friends that have stayed in the industry that um, were membership directors, like I have a really good buddy who's now a, a general manager at a club up in Northern California and started out as a, a, a membership director and selling. And yeah, I mean, that was a path, but I also like, like candidly, the the divorce rate that I was seeing with some of these GMs, they were all divorced. I was like, that's wow. not the life because they're at the club all day. Yeah. You know, they have to show up and they're there on the weekends when the members are there and they're there, you know, Saturday night at 10 o'clock cleaning, cleaning up an event, like with the food and beverage staff. So I was like, that's not the life I want. I'd rather be, I, I need, I wanted to figure out how to get on the other side of the counter, but at 22, I'll be candid. Like I, I wanted to play free golf. Like that was, that was kind of a nice <laughs> yeah. perk. Yeah. Have, have you seen, and not to call anywhere out in particular, but I, I'm genuinely curious, you know, the tech sales life is not for the faint of heart either. You know, like right. you get these VPs of sales, these CROs, they're grinding, you know, all day, all night on the weekend, you know, pre-COVID business trips, you know, every week uh, on the road. Like, did you see a difference there? Did, did you, have you tended to see similar tracks or maybe it's it depends on, on the company? Yeah, I think it's similar tracks. Yeah, you're you're right on with that. Like, I don't know, no one, no one I know in their 30s is. Uh, I'm 35. No one in, I know in their 30s is playing that much golf. Yeah, um, yeah. But that, 22, it was like that's the mindset. It's like I I want to get on the other side of the counter so at least I can potentially play more. You know, yeah. It's very short sighted. Yeah. So so when you're um, so you graduated in 08 mm -hmm. from school. So you yep. found find me gluten free in 2011. You're your mid 20s. Are you? Yep. I have to imagine you're gluten free. I, I am. Yeah. My, my buddy, Jason, um, was is the initial founder. He built, he did all the, the tech and, and built out the apps and the website by himself. He's an incredible, uh, software developer. And then we got introduced to a mutual friend and, and he brought me on to, to run all the go-to-market and sales marketing, social media, basically everything, but building the tech is what he had me do. And that was like a review site for like gluten-free, uh, restaurants or recipes or what exactly? Yeah. Restaurants, bakeries, um, anywhere that sells like gluten-free products. So like if you Google gluten-free San Francisco, um, finding gluten-free pops up at the very top of Google, uh, right, like right up there above Yelp, which is pretty amazing. Like our SEO was, that's how we won. Um, just ranking very high for very specific type searches. So like you could search like gluten-free pizza, Dallas or gluten-free, um, uh, baked goods in Seattle, and, and we rank at the top of, of Google. So yeah, it, it was a, it was a really fun experience. And I feel like the pain point there is like a lot of gluten-free food kind of sucks probably. And so to find like the great pizza that's gluten-free in Dallas probably isn't the easiest thing. Totally. Yeah. And like Jason's initial reason for building it was he, he's a celiac, um, which is like extreme gluten intolerance, like a, an actual disease. Um, and he wanted to solve his own problem. He's like, all these blogs are kind of mishmashed and there isn't like a central resource for places all over the country. And now it's the world um, to be able to find places easily. And he's like, I can solve my own problem. And like, he lived in Austin at the time when he built it. He's like, I can't even find places in my own town where I want to go eat, let alone yeah. if he was going to like Dallas or New York or, you know, wherever for like a trip. It's like going to a foreign country. Yeah. And where does Mark Cuban come into all this? Yeah. Yeah. So we started, we took like a really small friends and family round, like from my dad. Um, yeah. He put in like 10 grand to get us off the ground. Like we weren't, 
weren't taking a salary. We were kind of doing this for free and um, not getting paid. Uh, so Mark actually cold, he, he not cold email, but he was a inbound lead for us on our website, <laughs> which I, like it was full of typos. I was like, what the hell is this? Like, this is not real. Like, it's like, Hey guys, um, interested in working together. Congrats on the success. M I was like, okay, that's weird. <laughs> um, but I looked at the email address, like that was his email address. So it's out there. You can find it. Um, and we, he owned the reason he reached out is he was a big investor in a company at the time called naked pizza, which, which had like super healthy pizza. Um, they had like 20 locations, you know, again, he was Googling like, like their headquarters in new Orleans, you Google gluten-free pizza, in new Orleans, we were ranking above naked pizza. He's like, okay. He understood the power of SEO and Google. And, you know, he's very tech savvy, obviously. And was like, Hey, like, how do I get to the top of the list on finding gluten-free whenever somebody's searching in these areas? And we're like, so we worked out a deal to where he, uh, we worked out a three-year deal. I got him, I read an article um, about how he had his first customer when he was launching his first company prepaid him. And I asked him, I was like, Hey, are, would you be willing to prepay us for three years? He's like, yeah, absolutely. I was like, all the money will go into um, user growth and, and helping grow the company and, and you'll get better bang for your buck quicker. Um, and so he agreed, which is amazing. Like we were shocked that he did that, but I'd, I'd read that article. Um, and then three days later, we're like, Hey, like now that you're our biggest customer, are you interested in being an investor as well too? And we worked out a deal. We had one 20 minute phone call, which was, which was awesome to chat with them. And then like a million emails, um, and worked out a deal to where he became an investor of ours. Wow. That escalated quickly. Real. It was the best business week of my life, Tom. It was crazy. <laughs> Just nuts. Was he, was he a, a tough negotiator or was because I imagine the investment was in his realm, relatively small. It was just like, let's just do this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, we, we threw out a number that we knew was going to be higher than he probably would have put in. Um, and we had that baked in and it was actually kind of funny. Um, he, he counter gave us a counter offer. We had, we huddled up. It was like my college roommate who was our lawyer Jason, who started the company, and then our finance guy. And we had we got on a call after we got this email from him. And they're like, well, like, let's wait a couple of weeks and see if we want to see if we want to do this. Like, does it make sense? We'll run the numbers, financial model. And I was like, okay, what number would we take? And we all agreed on a number like five minutes later. We hung up the phone. I emailed Mark back and said, would you do this? And he said, yes. And I, and I called the guys back. I was like, hey, Mark agreed to that. And they're like, okay, let's do it. I was like, if we would have waited two weeks, like it, it we probably wouldn't have gotten a deal done. Like I I'm a believer in strike while the iron's hot. Absolutely. Especially with a guy like that. He's got 10 million things going on. You don't talk to him for a day. He doesn't even remember your name. I'm sure. Totally. And that was my thought process is like people are emotional buyers. You know, that as a salesperson, like strike yeah. while the emotions there and, and we got the deal done. I love it. Glad we didn't so wait you, two weeks. Yeah. So you, you followed this like very specific path in the review place, you know, from, from starting, find me gluten-free, which was, um, you know, kind of like a, a serendipitous start. It sounds like with that, with, uh, your co-founder, yeah. uh, to trust radius to G2. Now yeah. where you're doing at RepView. Um, that just seems like that that's the way that the world's going like as broad as, as something like Yelp and as specific as something like a gluten-free restaurant, yeah. um, the power's in the consumer's hands. Right. I mean, that's just like where the world's gone the last, what, 10, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Like think about us as millennials, right? Like we've had smartphone, I'm 35. I've had a 
the iPhone came out in what was it like? Oh, nine. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's when I started my career. Like I've had an iPhone literally my entire career. So as millennials, it's like the power of information is at our fingertips all the time. And we're bombarded with ads from companies all over the place, right? Like you, you go on the, you go on the highway and you see billboards on billboards, right? Like you go into the grocery store and you're like trying to pick out a bottle of wine or like a protein bar. I use those two categories specifically because think about how many protein bars there are and think about how mm. many bottles of wine there are. Like, how do you pick them? Crazy. It's nuts. Coffee. It's crazy. Um, so you, you think, and that's why like Vivino exists in the wine world. Like Vivino is a great mm. app for finding ratings and reviews of wine. Um, and, and it's, you know, you, you splice that up across every different industry out there and it can have its own review site. It's the reason why G2 exists. People want to understand what it's like to buy software. And what's crazy with G2 compared to like a gluten-free donut is, you know, you try a gluten-free donut, worst case scenario, you might get sick if you're extreme celiac and you don't feel good for a couple of days. And, it, and you know, like you feel like crap, you, you go implement gong and that doesn't go well. Like that's a, you're going to lose your job. Right. Yeah. So the, the, the impact and the implications as, as the stakes get higher, ratings and reviews become very important uh, the more you have to lose. Yeah. And I, I had Goddard Abel, the co-founder or founder of, of G2 on this podcast, year, probably two or three years ago. Um, yep. And I just remember when I first heard about it, how genius it was that, you know, everything that was happening in a B2B sale, we're talking six figure, seven figure deals are all done on, you know, what the salesperson says. And then like what, you know, you might back channel your friends in the, in the space, right. Or, or your colleagues at other companies, their experiences, but you'd have to call them up or you'd have to text them or email them and, and get their experience. Right. So, um, yeah. it's crazy that that didn't exist before. Um, and I feel like has made, if you're at a good company, it makes selling, I think easier, right. It's like, you know, go check us on G2, like check the review. It's the same if you have the best restaurant in town. It's like, well, we're the best on Yelp. Like, you know, right. the, the, you're going to get a ton of traffic that way. Yeah. Yeah. Not only that, I, I think, well, it makes sales easier in one sense and harder in the other. Uh, e easier in the fact that like, hey, don't take my word for it. Like, I'm just a sales rep. I've, I said this at G2 all the time. I was like, and I yep. still say it now, like even selling Gong, it's like, I'm just a sales rep. Like, what's more powerful you hearing this from me or like 300 reviews or like on gong like there's like the the raving fans page like yeah. just go read this right like i'm not going to sit here and tell you about all the bells and whistles like go listen to what other people just like you have to say yeah way Absolutely. more powerful. it's been going on since the beginning of time word of mouth is the best form of advertising so let's let's talk about the problem that RepView solve and i mentioned you guys are you make a lot of noise uh on linkedin which i love um, we know that you have comfortable shirts, which I respect. Um, and as someone who's, uh, gotten, you know, two jobs, sales jobs in the last, uh, year and a half, um, and going through the interview process for the first time since when I graduated, yeah. um, there's a lot, there's a lot of issues with the hiring process right now as a salesperson. So I'd love for you to just maybe like break down, like what, what is, what is up in the marketplace right now? Like what's the issue? um that you guys are, are trying to solve yeah we we want to help reps find companies or we want to help reps uh sell for companies they love like period because the last thing you want to do to your point is like go interview at a company and and 
you can realize within like two days that it's not going to work out. Right. Yeah. Like we just did a poll on, on RepView about should a hiring manager so, show their CRM dashboard during the hiring process when a rep, when a rep asks, like, show me how your team stacks up. I want to know who's yeah. making the most money. I want to know what the comp plan looks like. I want to know why people left, like how many of your team hit quota last quarter. And, and you did like, there's like the level of information that a hiring manager and a recruiter will share with you before you sign the offer letter, you get there, you onboard, you get there day one and you look at the, you look at the dashboard and you're like 30% of the team's hitting quota. This is crazy. Yeah. I w- why didn't you tell me this before I got there? Yeah. And it, it, there's, it's, it's challenging to ask those questions. Cause I bet in that spot, I, I, I landed somewhere and it was that spot. It was like, one rep closed the biggest deal in company history. And even she was like, not even close to hitting quota. No one was hitting. It was like this, like, uh, there's no way I'm making money here. Um, But that's not, there's a lot of pressure, I think on the other side where you're like, shit, you know, I need a job. And like, maybe I don't like where I'm at, or maybe I got laid off or quit or whatever it might be. Um, And so I feel like if I ask this tough question, maybe they're going to weed me out and they're, they're not going to go with me. Um, like it feels like there's some questions that whether we make them up to be or not seem off limits for a rep to ask uh, a recruiter. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really good point. Like a lot of, and I felt like this too, like, like you, you land a job and you're like, Oh, this, like I won the job. Like reps feel like they won the job. Right. Yeah. That experience. Totally. And then you get there and it's like, Oh man, what did I just get myself into? Like, (laughs) maybe the company's doing really well and like raised a bunch of funding and, you know, growth is insane. Right. And you're seeing them all over the place and tech crunch and every, everywhere you can see them, right. The founders are on podcasts or whatever. Right. But then like you take a job with a very specific team in that org and the org's not doing well, like yeah. or not the org, but like that team's not doing well. Right. And come to find out like a different team is carrying the entire organization. So how, like, how do you, how as a rep do you even know all of the info, right? Because there's so many things to think about for a job. There's the personal growth, there's the comp, there's how's the company doing? You know, what's my territory going to look like? Are people hitting quota? What's the culture? Maybe you care about, you know, DEI. Maybe you care about getting into management. There's so many things and so few, like so few opportunities maybe to ask all of the questions that you want, maybe no transparency. So like, how do you, where do you, where do you kind of like bring visibility to that? Yeah. Yeah. So we don't, we don't do any reviews like, like what you may see on like Glassdoor or like other like employee review sites. It's all structured data one to five rate, how good product market fit is, how good is the inbound lead flow, diversity, inclusion, culture and leadership, training and development, like things that you just said. Right. And then where we start to separate from these other sites out there is we actually benchmark one company versus another. So like, how does Gong benchmark versus the industry average, right? Like the industry average is that 47% of sales teams are, are hitting quota. Like that's not a high number, right? No. So how does Gong compare to that? And then not only that, like how does the SMP, how is the SMB team doing versus the mid-market team versus the enterprise team? Like that's the kind of data that you don't really get unless you're in the CRM. And all of our data is crowdsourced from reps that are putting this into RepU as part of their rating. And how do you, do you get enough information in there to identify between all those different teams? Because to your point, a company A 
could be killing it on paper, like, you know, huge company. And then like that one team just kind of sucks. And that's that it just so happens to be the team you join. Yeah. Yeah. So as we like our number one thing right now is continuing to grow out our data set. And by data set, I mean like the number of ratings that we've got from reps. Like we ended 2020 with about 8,000 ratings. We're going to end 2021. Uh, we're pushing towards 40,000 ratings. It's, it's crazy. I started in July. We had about 17,000 and we're, we're going to finish with double, more than double that by the end of the year. It's growing like crazy. Um, part of that is creating all this noise that we're doing on LinkedIn. Um, so, so yeah, as it can, like for some companies, we have a ton of data, like Salesforce, we have 500, 500 plus ratings, maybe a smaller company with like 10 reps. We may have like five, six, seven ratings, you know, yeah. and you, you, we won't even publish a company's profile until they have seven ratings. Got it. So, so like with Salesforce, we can splice it up by the SMB team, the mid-market team, the enterprise team, their sled team that sells in the, you know, government. Um, so the more data that we have coming in, the more we're able to splice and dice it. And is this, I mean, this is free for reps or is this a subscription? Like, how do you, how does a rep access the info? Yeah. So like if a rep goes on um, and checks out the site, they're going to see all the data grayed out. It, it, the only thing that costs a rep is two minutes to add a rating about their current sales work. And they have access to our 35,000 plus ratings right now. Got it. Um, so it doesn't cost, there's no money. We don't monetize users. Um, and that's not the, like the model for most ratings and review sites is it's all, it's usually free for users and you monetize uh, the demand side. So you would, you would monetize then on, you know, Salesforce, let's just say just by name of a huge company um, yeah. on like their hiring and like, or like some sort of ad space or like, how do you, how do you, I know how like somewhere like G2 would do it. Um, but I don't maybe understand the full model of, of how you guys would do it. Yeah. Yeah. So one is, so it's all subscription. We have an ARR model. It's not, it's not ads. Um, it's all, so if you want to upgrade your profile, you can right now, if you've got it like data dogs, one of our first early adopter customers, yeah. they've got their jobs, sales jobs posted on their profile. They've got their sales jobs posted on non-paid profiles. So they're, they're spreading their the, you know, their talent awareness, like their talent brand across other profiles, whenever reps are showing up. Like right now, if you go on Salesforce's profile, you're going to see jobs from Datadog, not Salesforce, because Salesforce isn't a customer of ours. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one way. So job postings, and then we're also adding a life tab, similar to like you might see on, on LinkedIn to show off more of like what the culture is like working at an org. So whether it's pictures or, or videos or whatever it may be that um, a company wants to show off about their org with their own type of content. Um, so that's the front end data. And then what you also might see on G2 is like, you know, if like, if you go to like a, a company's website, like on Gong, right. Like you may see like a comparison of like one company versus another, um, mm -hmm. the data that sits on RepView, companies can pay to use that data in their own, um, uh, like careers page as an example. So they may say, Hey, check out our RepView score and they'll, they can put all their scores on their, their website. Um, and then we've got a bunch of stuff on the back end. Every rating that comes in, we get 19 data points. And we've got companies that are paying us to leverage our compensation data. So they want to know what's a mid-market rep at XYZ company making versus a enterprise rep at ABC company. And yeah. recruiters and, and hiring managers are using this data to say, shoot, we're not paying our team enough compared to the benchmark. Or if we want to go attract candidates, we can leverage this data to, to see um, which candidates we should be going after based on the average deal size that we sell. We had no idea that this type of company was selling a deal size that size. 
we should go after their team if we want to recruit them to our org as well. One challenge that I had when I was looking for new jobs was I felt like there were so many criteria, like I mentioned. Um, and you know, I, I got like five or six companies that were like, all right, these are, these are like solid. I'll be happy if, at any of these, but like trying to prioritize them based on like the small things, you know, like the small differences between the two, like yeah. what are there any surprising characteristics or, or tips? Like if someone was on the hunt right now and they're going to rep view and they're, and they're checking things out, like anything that maybe is like a, a, a warning that some teams look good on paper, but this thing, um, is something to be mindful of or, or any characteristics that you as a, as a former rep would, would definitely make sure that was on your hit list to, to check out. Yeah. And this is like the first time, that's a great question. Like this is the first time I've been able to like zoom out and look at sales orgs from a macro level. Yeah. Um, th there's two things that stand out. One product market fit. There's a lot of companies that will raise a lot of money that maybe don't have full product market fit yet. Right. Like mm -hmm. I just saw a company today that raises $200 million series B, which is crazy. Uh, but they're doing well. Like it's a, it's a company. Is that, that Lusha or something? Yeah. Yeah. That's like they're on all my YouTube ads. Yeah. Like that, dude, that's one of the biggest series B's I've ever seen. It's crazy. crazy. Yeah. And they're going in a competitive space with like zoom info and user gems. Like that's, that's crazy. Yeah. But there's something that they sold there, right? Like they don't have a ton of employees. It's incredible. They've gotten that big of a valuation, that big of a series B um, with not being a massive team. So something's working over there. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's, there's two things I think about it's, it's product market fit. And that's actually one of the things we ask is one to five rate product market fit of your organization. Um, and then the other one I would say is, is uh, training and development because if you don't have, and the third one's probably inbound lead flow. Um, every rep will say that there's not enough inbound lead flow. Um, yeah. But the training and development's a big one because it's, it's, is this a growth mindset organization versus like <clears throat> stagnant we're running the playbook from 20 years ago? Yep. So if you got a really high uh, training and development really high product market fit. That's a pretty, that's a pretty solid company to go work for in my opinion. And then you add on inbound lead flow, like the demand gen engines working solid. Where do you think this is going to take the sales culture, the sales, the SaaS sales world from a hiring perspective? Like, do you, do you feel like this takes us to a spot where, um, reps are start, are going to make more money in the next few years? Do you think it's, there's going to be more jumping around, less jumping around because they find the better spot. Like, how do you predict this is going to change things? Well, at the very least, top of that funnel that you just were, were talking about, I hope it creates more healthy dialogue between hiring managers, recruiters, and candidates. Um, there's a lot like, it, like, I love your perspective on this too. It's like, where, where's the, where's the gap between I want to work here I got hired and oh man, I need to get out of here, right? Like there's a lot of things that happen in that journey, right? Yeah. Um, I, like I said, I think it, I, as long as there's like a healthy dialogue and, and there's, there's, I'm seeing it on LinkedIn, I'm seeing these hiring managers post things like, you know, at, you want to know what our comp plan is? I'll send you our comp plan. You want to know uh, how much money you can make? Here's a dashboard report. I'll send you, I'll show you that as part of the interviewing process. Do you have to sign an NDA to maybe see that? Sure. Is it worth it to the rep? Absolutely. Um, so I think that's what's starting to happen. And I think, you know, there was that Wall Street Journal article that came out a couple months ago around there's like 700,000 plus open sales jobs in America right now, which is crazy. Mm. There's, there's still some hiring managers and sales leaders that are kind of running that recruiting playbook from a couple of years ago, where it was a, 
an employer's market versus a candidate market. And it's just not working. Like yeah. reps are leaving, you know? So as long as there's more healthy dialogue before somebody gets hired, I think that should hopefully cut down on people leaving um, in a trading. How do you, um, do you get as specific on comp? Because I know that, uh, you know, there's, there's certain ways to run like accelerators, right? For example, this, I know this, this is getting into the nitty gritty, but like, yeah. I remember when I was job hunting, there was one, uh, you know, offer I got that like, it was lower OTE, but it was like, you know, the, the pitch was, Hey, we got monthly accelerators. So any month you hit your quota, you know, you're, you're going to get X percent higher of, of what your, uh, you know, usual commission is like, are there, I don't know, some of those like random variables thrown in there, um, that, that people can see as well. Yeah. So there's a couple things we ask is, um, what's the upside potential that top performers make. So like it, maybe it's two X OTE. Um, and then we also ask like, what of your understanding, what are you seeing top performers on your team making? And not just like at a company, like your specific team. So like, if, if you want to know what a mid-market rep at Cvent, how much they can make, like on, if you go on rep view, you can see that the, the top uh, upside potential is about almost three X OTE. Um, and then like what they, what the reps are reporting on average is about $400,000 as a mid-market rep. So at least you have like some understanding of how much money you can make as a mid-market rep versus an enterprise rep there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this, this really does change the game because I, I remember, um, I will definitely will not name this company, but when I was interviewing, I, it was, you know, a really good company on paper. Uh, they, they set a number the whole way through on what the OTE would be. And I got actually, you know, I got the job, I got the form, um, you know, the, whatever the contract, I guess. And it's like $15,000 lower. Yeah. And I'm like, what happened here? I'm like, yeah. you know, and, and even that $15,000 lower um, from where I thought it would be probably would have been still in my range. But just the the lack of transparency, like I was like, there's no way, like this is the worst, you know, this is the worst feeling ever, right before you're about to sign on somewhere. Yeah. Um, I, I just think it's gonna. I personally hope that the game changes. Um, to here's what it is, like you you know what we're all about, and um, you know the the recruiter's job is more to you know try to prospect and get people in versus like trying to sell a pipe dream or you know not being transparent about what the company is really all about. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the irony in my opinion is like, I think where the shift is going to continue to happen is we continue to grow our brand and um, more data is getting exposed publicly on rep view that reps can see is so to me, I, I would find it kind of hypocritical if a CRO at a company is touting their scores on G2, but then not being transparent when it comes to hiring reps, like mm. you're saying on one, one end that you believe in third party validation, but you're not backing it up with how you actually hire your reps. Like you care about your customer's voice, but not your rep's voice. Like, how does that make sense? Yeah. I I do see people get pretty aggressive now on LinkedIn posts. Like there's this, I don't even know this guy, but I'll, I'll just say his name anyway. His name's Steve something. He's a CRO at Link Squares. I don't know if you know him or have seen his LinkedIn, but I, don't. Um, I, I just have mutual like connections that comment on his stuff. And I saw a post the other day where he's like, he's, he's, he's like, you know, if you want to come work for me, like, you know, it's this OTE, it's this, 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 and like super upfront. And I'm like, I love that. He's like, yep. like everyone's working in the office five days a week. Your OTE is 250, you know, and like, Hey, if you want to come with us, here's, 
like, here's my number, you know, DM me or whatever. I'm like, I love that. Like, I, yeah. I love just the bold. Here's what we're all about. And maybe you don't want to work in an office five days, or maybe that the comp's not right, in which case it's not a good fit. But, but if it is, I just, I love just the transparency and, and kind of like, a, you know, aggressive attitude about it. Yeah. Like I, I would bet the reason he's doing that is because they probably had a, a an issue with getting, getting reps in the funnel, like the, the hiring funnel and, or maybe they've had people leave. So he's like, screw it. I'm just going to be open about it. Like, what yeah. do I have to lose? Right. Yeah, like, absolutely. What does hiring manager have to lose with that? Because if the truth's going to come out eventually. Yeah. Do you, I have a, I have a question for you for, for reps as we're thinking about jobs, careers, things like that. What's your take? What's your opinion on the, the classic kind of like job hop for more comp? Do you feel like that's necessary? Do you feel like if you're at a company for four or five years that you're likely paid what you're worth? Or do you think that there's a lot of value in every one to two years? Let's just say you're an AE for this example, that uh, you do need to jump in order to really make sure that you're getting paid your worth. That's a, that's such a tough topic because I, we were just post, we were talking about this the other day, like on, on LinkedIn. Um, by the time you've already got an offer from another company, like you're already checked out of your current role. Like mm. the data is all there. Harvard business has done studies on this hundreds of studies on this. If you go back and try to renegotiate your current offer after accepting or not accepting, but getting another offer from another company, like you already resent your current company. Right. And it's like yeah. current company, if the current company comes back to you and says, well, what if we pay you more? It's like, why don't you just pay me more to begin with? Yeah. <laughs> you, you had the money, you had the money and you have the ability to do it. So like, why do I need to come to you with another? It just creates this weird transaction. Like, I don't understand it. Um, so I, I mean, it, I think that it comes back to product market fit too, because mm -hmm. if you've got a product where if you're selling a solution that maybe has a pretty long sales cycle and like there's reps that maybe don't start making real money until year two, three, like you kind of have to stick that out. Right. But if you're in a yeah. role where you can start closing deals really quickly and you go get an offer to go make more money, like maybe it's a higher base, 20%. And uh, you're, you're selling a similar sales cycle where you can start making money pretty quickly. Like, are, are you doing yourself a disservice if you don't? Like, I think, I don't think it's that black and white. I think there's a lot more variables to it, but than just the money side, like what if your current boss, you don't like, you don't like working with them. Yeah. You know, what if they make your life a living hell? Well, you then know? you got to get out of there. Less <laughs> yeah. 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 Super yeah. true. Um, a lot more variables though, I think. Yeah. Um, all right, Darren, let me hit you with a few, um, rapid fires before I let you go off and, and do whatever you want with your Wednesday night. Sure. Um, so we're big learners on this podcast, big book readers. Um, any books that have, you know, really radically changed how you think, uh, changed your career. It could be sales or business or fiction or, or really any topic, you know, no, nothing's off limits, but anything come to mind? Yeah. One of the first sales books I read was a book called common sense selling. And it's kind of the stuff my dad was preaching to me as a kid. Yeah. Um, it's this company called Whetstone Group out in San Diego, um, Common Sense Selling. It's, it's, it's a lot of it's like kind of Sandler, where are you today? Where do you want to be tomorrow? Can we help you? Maybe we can, maybe we can't, but they put their spin on it. It's really good. I'll have to check that one out. Anything non-sales related that stands out? Um, I thought Blink was really good. Um, mm. I don't know if you're a Malcolm Gladwell fan. I um, am. Yeah, Blink was really good. Just the ability to read people and read situations. And it's obviously tougher over Zoom. 
But man, I, I remember just sitting in boardrooms with a big buying committee and you see like one person kind of flinch after maybe something got brought up by the current team or something I said as part of the presentation and go, hey, you know, Cindy, I saw that you just flinched when I said that. Did, did we spark something there? Like that, I learned that from Blink. I love that. Yeah. Um, what's bumping on the on the Darren Alpert uh, Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you're bumping tunes? What's what's playing nowadays? Yeah, man, I'm a I'm a big Chris Stapleton fan. I I, I okay. love country. Um, Stapleton's my guy. He's been my guy for like five years. I I can't stop listening to him. Him and like James Taylor. I love James Taylor too. Love love James Taylor. He's got a live album. I don't know the name of it, but that's playing at least like once every few weeks uh, in the apartment over here. Yeah, man. You want to talk about like salesperson mental health? Listen to some James Taylor. It'll soothe you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, any Anyone that you recommend that, that you like to follow, either, you know, LinkedIn follow, uh, other podcasts that you listen to, YouTube. I don't know how you kind of like stay in tune with what's going on in, in either the sales or, or the business world, but any, any people that you've been kind of like digging recently? Yeah. I love Guy Raz, how I built this. Um, yeah. I don't know if you listen to him at all. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just love listening to other entrepreneurs and like that. Cause you get, he brings out the nitty gritty stories of like, like you, you hear about companies where they're pouring a ton of gas on the fire, right? Like you talk about Lucia 200 million. I want to know how Lucia started. To, how do they get their first customer? Like yep. that, that's the kind of stuff I love. Like I, I think Reed Hoffman's really good with that with masters of scale. Um, but like, I love getting like, how did people come up with like the kindling and like get that first sparklet versus like pouring gas on. Is there any better interviewer than Guy Raz? The guy is amazing. He's really good. He's really, really good. Like, and it's just very, I was just talking about with a buddy about how good he is. Like, it's just soothing, calm, like conversational, right? It's conversational, but you can tell he does a shit ton of research on the person, back channels, their family or their business partners. And just like, he's got his five to seven questions that he's going to ask that unleash the floodgates and like he's probably spent hours crafting those few questions. It, it feels like if Mr. Rogers, it feels like the love child of like Mr. Rogers <laughs> and like an FBI agent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chris Voss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chris Voss, like super conversational. I love it. That's yeah. great. Um, all right. My last question for you is who do you think we need to have on the millennial sales podcast next? Ooh. Ooh. Millennial or non-millennial? Non-millennial? No, they could they could be, yeah. No, we don't we don't discriminate on age despite the, I, the title of the podcast. Yeah, I don't know if he'll do it, but one of my really good mentors um is a guy named Mark Brady. He lives in Austin, one of the best salespeople I've ever worked with. Like you want to talk about like conversational, just talking to people. Like Mark Brady is a master. He's at a company called Bizarre Voice down in Austin. Okay. I can text him and see if he wants to go on, but he's the kind of guy that may not want to. Mark, come on, man. The people want to hear from you, Mark. As soon as you post this, I'm going to tag him and be like, hey, you need to go on this. <laughs> That's great. What, what is he a, a rep or like a VP or what does he do at Bizarre Voice? He's, he's a rep. Um, he's, he's got two kids and really involved with their sports and coaching and all that. So he's, he's, he's one of the best reps I've ever been around. That's awesome. I love yeah. it. Um, yeah. Cool, man. Why? Uh, first of all, I appreciate you coming on, uh, sharing your stories, sharing your wisdom with us. Was there anything we didn't get to that you wanted to uh, to talk about before we let people know where they can find you? Um, no, man. I, I 
appreciate this. You're bringing up, you know, memories of, of selling country club stuff and just conversations <laughs> with my dad. So I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, well, we'll definitely let everyone know um, what's the best place. Like, uh, I know you're Darren Alpert uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, yep. I don't know if the, the site or anywhere else is a good place for folks to check out. Yeah, man. Uh, anybody that wants to connect on LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, if you're a rep that wants to understand your current org or other sales orgs, it's repview.com, R-E-P-V-U-E.com. And how do we all get those soft t-shirts? That's the, that's the question on everyone's mind right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like Daniel. Uh, yeah. If you leave three ratings on RepView, you're eligible for a t-shirt. It's that simple. Is that, is that true? Or do you just make that up right now? Oh, that's it. You got to leave three ratings. It says it on there. Okay. Then that's yeah. my Wednesday night plan right there. Yeah, man. I mean, you had us on the show. We can send you one, but like, we'd love to leave <laughs> ratings. I'll hit, I'll hit you with some ratings. Uh, Darren, appreciate you coming on, man. Awesome. Thanks. Tom. It was good to connect. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Thanks for checking out that episode of the Millennial Sales Podcast. We're in the home stretch, November and December of 2021. Let's close this on a strong note. Please make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening here. It'll help me grow this show and provide better content for you. Otherwise, hit me up on LinkedIn, Tom Alamo. I'll see you there. Peace.